morning yet. Welcome to Portico. My name is Rick, and I'm the campus pastor here. If I've not met you before, we're excited that you're with us this morning. Did you appreciate our band this morning? Yeah? You know, this, Andrew, right here, this guy, this guy's been working hard. I can tell. He's got some great mad skills in the guitar there happening. I'm, I'm loving that. Andrew, I, uh, Andrew, I was, I was listening to him practice this morning, and I, just, I actually came upstairs here, and that's great improvement, I, and I just want to honor that in you, buddy. You've been practicing, and we love having you a part on, on the team. <laughs> love having you. You know, and if, you, if, you've not, um, if, you, if you play an instrument or you'd be, ever be interested in getting involved, talk with Heather. We always want to make sure that there's space for everyone to get involved using whatever skills they have. So we love having you a part, and just uh, wanted to honor Andrew this morning with that. Well, we're in week two of our series, Revolution or Relevolution. It's got the love spinned around there. And we're going to be looking at rethinking a few different things in terms of what's best in our life and relationships. And as we get started this morning, I wondered how many of you have ever read your job description? You've read your job description. How many of you have not ever read your job description in full? Yeah, we got a few of you have read, a few of you haven't. There's, there's often parts of our jobs that we're not fulfilling, and there's lots of reasons. For those of you who just raised your hand saying, I've never read the job description that I have, that could be one of the reasons why you're not fulfilling every part of your job description, because a lot of us have never actually read what we're expected to do in our jobs. Some of us, we have parts of our job that we just don't like, right? (laughs) I don't like that part of my job, so I'm not going to do that part of my job. I'm going to excel at some other areas and just overlook these areas because I don't really like those ones. Some of us, we have, part, we have something written into our job description that we don't think is probably ever actually something we could accomplish, so we just don't even bother going there. It's something that somebody in the upper-ups decided that that should be part of our job description, so it's in there, but it's not something that's ever going to happen. I had one of those experiences when I was purchasing coffee from a restaurant a few, few weeks ago. Who's a Tim Hortons drinker in the room? Here we go. Yes, we got a few two more. So I was on my way back from the cottage, and I stopped to get a cappuccino at Tim at at, at Tim Hortons. I, I not a big fan of the regular roast. Don't mind the dark roast, but I was going to get something sweet, and I ordered a cappuccino. So I walked up to the counter and I said, "Could I have a vanilla bean cappuccino, please?" And the lady looked at me and said, "Vanilla bean latte." I said, "No." vanilla bean cappuccino. And she said, vanilla bean latte? <laughs> so I, I was starting to get a pattern going on here. I didn't want to get caught into one of those uh, b- battle of the minds where we just kept saying the same thing over. So I said, do you make a vanilla bean cappuccino? <laughs> and she said, no. <laughs> oh, well, could I please have a cappuccino? And then could you put two flavor shots of vanilla bean in that? And she looked at me and said, absolutely. <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness. And, and then so I went and I, and I, looked at, I looked at what the job description of a, Tim Hort- of a Tim Hortons team member was. And it was bringing your energy and passion to work every day that helps make coming to Tim's the best part of someone else's day. Those few moments were not the best part of my day, let me tell you, having to explain to her how she could make a vanilla bean cappuccino. Now, I'm not one to pick on any one restaurant, so I went over to the Starbucks website, and I, decided, I looked up, what is uh, the expectation if you're going to be a Starbucks barista? Well, here's what it says. Delivers legendary customer service to all customers by acting with a customer-comes-first attitude 
and connecting with the customer, discovers and responds to the customer needs. Not every interaction I've had with the wonderful folks in green and tan has been legendary. I don't know. Andrew, what happens when you order coffee with milk at a Starbucks? What do they do? They, they, yeah, they don't, Andrew's, Andrew's big beef with it, they don't even put the milk in your coffee. That's not exactly legendary customer service. Go over there and put your milk in. So Andrew is going to Tim Hortons. Some of us will go. But any, over, over to Starbucks. In both job descriptions, though, you know what part of the job is? Make coffee. Put coffee in a cup. Handle the finances. Keep things clean. Stuff that we would expect that would be done by a barista, by a team member, whatever that you want to call them. And I've never really had memorable experiences with these kinds of issues. But I've had definitely memorable experiences with a lady who couldn't figure out how to make a vanilla bean cappuccino. And every once in a while you go to Starbucks and they're having so much fun back there, they don't really care to serve you, but they are really keeping a good atmosphere behind the counter. And, and, and it's not the making of the coffee, it's not the delivering of the coffee, it's not the handling of the finances, it's something else that's in their job description that they're not doing. And if their boss was to receive this kind of feedback and they were going to do an employee review with them, even though they're making coffee, even though they're not messing up the cashier, even though the store is clean, they're not going to pass their job description with flying colors. They focused on part of the job. They forgot another part of the job. And we know that. If we're only doing half our job, our boss is not going to be happy with us. Well, last week we started into this series, The Revolution. We're rethinking what's best in life and relationships. And today we're looking at how to rethink love. Now, most of us in the church, we would assume that we know how to love God well. It's kind of the thing that we do, is we love God. And if we go to a familiar passage in Luke chapter 10, a familiar for many of us, it's where there's a teacher of the law, and he was asking, how do I obtain eternal life? He comes to Jesus and says, how do I get eternal life? Also, he's asking, how do I love God well? How do I do this? So we're going to go, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand, and we've got a few at the back there, and uh, Manir or uh, Ron can make sure that you get a copy of the Bible to borrow um, for, for the course of the day, and then just give it back to them at the end. That'd be great. If you've got a version, an iPad, or a, a smartphone, that you can uh, search for Portico, or you can search for Milton, and our notes will be there. But we're going to go to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to be starting at verses 25, verse 25 and read through verse 29 in this familiar story. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? So the, he answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted uh, to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in this passage, Jesus sets up this tension for this law expert. He sets it up for us. There are two ways to love God. We love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people, love your neighbor the way that you love yourself. Now, if you were just to give the church a little bit of a self-test, a little bit of an employee evaluation, which of those streams do you think we do a better job at doing? Do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, or do we love people the way that we love ourselves better? 
Think about that for a moment. Which are, we, which are we accomplishing? What part of our job description are we knocking it out of the park on? And what part are we kind of falling short on? If we look at the Pharisees, they loved God with everything really well. They tithed on their food that was in their cupboard. They took vows of silence so they could just focus and study on God. They had entire portions of the law and the scriptures memorized They had physical rules that made it tangible to love God very well. They grasped onto those. And Jesus comes in with a secondary concept, and he says, it's good that you love God, but you have to love people well to complete the whole job description. He says, in fact, every way that you want to be treated, every way that you experience love, that's what you have to do for them. So do you like being complimented? Do you like having gifts given? Do you like having things done for you? Then that's the way we're to treat our neighbors. And I think if we're to consider our actions, and if we were to look at the modern-day church, we'd figure out that in a lot of cases, the church and modern-day Christianity does a better job of loving God. Now, we may treat people well. We may treat most people with love, but the story of Jesus, the story Jesus was about to tell here was about the good Samaritan, and he details the shortcomings of where we fail to love people. And it was the religious people that ignored the blatant need of the guy who had been robbed. And if you know the story of the good Samaritan, there was a guy, and he was traveling on the path, and he gets beaten up and robbed. And two of the religious leaders of the day, they walked past because they didn't want to interact with somebody that didn't line up with what they believed and was ceremonially unclean to them. And it was somebody who, was, who, who shouldn't have cared for him who provided the care for them. They ignored the need because he was different. And I think, church, that a lot of us, we don't love people who aren't like us as well as we love people who are like us. Now, we don't commonly hate like we used to, And we try and overlook the inherent stereotypes that exist within our belief system. And we we try and accept everyone with equality. But what about the people that have personally offended us? How well do we love them? If we're we're just going to evaluate ourselves, if we say, do we love God better or do we love people? The people who have personally done something to offend you, how well do you love them? People that have a belief system set up directly opposite to that of Christianity, how well does the church love other religions. The people who go out of our, their way to make our lives difficult, how are we doing at showing them the same kind of love that Jesus was talking about here, to love them the same way we love ourselves? We have this measured love. We'll love this far. We'll love this much. We love God with all our heart and with all our soul, with all our mind, and even our strength, but we struggle with loving people to that same degree. And that's why we're talking about a revolution. This isn't just words that were like, okay, so go treat most people fairly well. This was everyone we interact with, give everything we absolutely can to show them the love. We we have a different system set up than the Pharisees did. They had laws and they were tithing on their food. Like I said, they were taking vows of silence. They were memorizing scripture. We have different measurables for how we love God. We need to show up at church. We need to give in the offering. We need to volunteer. We need to live lives that people would say would be good. We don't swear, get drunk, cheat on our spouses. We're a good Christian. We might even add treat people well, but sacrificial love for everyone, I'm not so sure. I'll love God the way God is asking me to do it as long as you fill in your blank. What is it for you this morning? Just let, just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Remember, when we come to meet with God, we're, we're asking, 
We're asking God, speak to me, change something in me. What is it for you where your grace stops? If somebody lives a life that's offensive to you, if somebody, to serve them, it would cause you inconvenience, it's not close, it, it would cause a big sacrifice. See, Peter had this question of Jesus. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. He had the same thought, and he said, Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? This is in Matthew 18. He wanted to know if there was a limit on how many times he was to forgive. So he said, I'm not sure if I can give people chance after chance after chance if they keep messing up. And for him, somebody who repeatedly offended him, that was where he stopped giving grace. So he said, Jesus is seven times enough. And if you know this story, when, when he says, Jesus, is it okay if that person personally offends me seven times, can I stop showing them love? And Jesus says, no, it's 70 times seven. Now, for many of you in the room, that just means infinity, right? You're not even going to bother trying to do that kind of math. 70 times 7 is like, whoa, I can't do that one. So it's, it's just, it just means never, ever stop forgiving. That's probably the way it was for Peter, too. He was a fisherman. I'm just not going to go. I'm not going to make judgments on people, but maybe he couldn't have figured out what that was either. Jesus was saying we never stop forgiving. The essence of this question is when somebody lets me down, can I give up showing them love? God, is it okay if I stop showing love to a certain group of people? This was a culture that loved God really well with legalism, with law, but Jesus enters grace into the equation. So we're going to spend 10, 15 minutes this morning looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 5 through 9, and Jesus describes here's how to love people with that same kind of love. So the first thing that he says in verse 5, he says, speak peace. It's a spiritual concept, but it's not something that should be lost in our society. It can't be overlooked in our, in, in our culture today. Anyone who's a Christ follower, we bring the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go. And the first thing, as Jesus was sending out his, his, his followers, he, was gonna, he said, I'm going go, to go ask you to bring my spirit, bring my love, bring my message to the world. He says, speak peace wherever you go. Who's the person that when they come into your house, they just calm you down when they walk in. Is there a person like this that for you? Maybe, maybe over the holidays, the whole mood of your house changed when that person showed up or when that person began to speak. You know, part of that's just dynamics and they have that quiet voice and they have that quiet demeanor. But part of that's the Holy Spirit. If you have Christ's peace within you, when you walk into somebody's house, when you walk into the room, you bring the peace of the Holy Spirit with you. Last week, Jeff spoke to the church and us. He, he spoke to us about how this part of the chapter looks at Jesus was commissioning 72 of his followers to go out and preach. I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember, but he said that that 72 number, it didn't appear randomly. Jesus didn't just have 72 people, so he said, okay, I guess I'll send all of you. He specifically chose 72, and that number represented the nations at the time that were in existence outside of Judaism and outside of God's plan for salvation. So he said, I'm choosing one for every nation that doesn't know who I am, and I'm sending them there so that they would know my peace. And that's what we read in Luke 10:5. when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And the problem is that the church and Christians, we have a different reputation than in, in our world than peace givers, don't we? 
What would, what would the average person think about the church? If they said, you know, I would want to go to church, but they're kind of judgmental in there. <laughs> they're not going to say, I would go to church, but they, there's just too much peace in that place. I just can't go where I just feel really good about it. Or like, I just don't want Christians coming over because it seems like there's always squabbling going on. It seems like the church always talks about money. It seems like I feel guilty when I'm around Christians. All along, we were meant to be carriers of peace to our world. Look at how Jesus marketed himself to the world in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And for those of us, let's just be, be honest, for those of us who have attended church for numbers of years, we like coming to church, right? Like if we go to a CLG, a small group, it's fun. We have, we have food together, we have relationship together, we talk about the Bible. On Sundays we come, we sing songs that are familiar to us, we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit speaking to We do have peace. So where's the breakdown? It's this concept of measured love. We've become the deliverer of peace to the world, but only to those whom we feel deserve it. Anyone in the church, anyone that would... Anyone that would be willing to change something in their life, okay, we're ready to bring them peace. And if we're going to go on missions, like we, we'll have targeted missional areas where we say, yeah, the homeless or the needy, we'll go bring peace there or we'll go to a foreign nation. We'll love them sacrificially. But what about some of the other groups of people that we've decided we're not ready to bring peace to those people? There's entire groups of people that feel alienated by the church because we're not quite willing to love them the same way that we would love each other. There's the couple down the street that we're not so sure that we know what their lifestyle is like, so I'm not sure that I could bring peace to that home. There's that person at work that, that blamed you when the project went bad. <laughs> I'm not so sure I'm ready to bring peace there. Or what about parents? You know, it's the parent of the child that made fun of your child, and you're thinking, I'm not bringing peace to that person because I'm not sure what's going on in that home. I'm upset at them. And we get this reputation not of peace bringers, but of more judgmental. Is there a person in your life whom you've decided they don't deserve to have the Holy Spirit and peace brought into their life? Maybe not that explicitly, but by our actions, we go there. Because when you put it that way, it sure sounds like a strong reminder that this is a revolution that Jesus was talking about. It doesn't matter if we love those who love us and we love those who believe the same things we believe. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, even evil people do that. So that's not a badge of honor. Treat people who don't treat you well with that kind of love. That's how we love God. Who are the people around you that really need God's gift of peace? that really are struggling right now, that really just need to know that there's a God that cares about them. Those are the people that we're called to bring peace to. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is offer acceptance to another person. It starts in school. We know this as kids, that there's some that are less accepted than others based on the way that they dress or the way that their hair is or the way that they smell or the way that their voice sounds. Something alienates them from other kids and as adults, we have more sophisticated reasons for segregating off into groups, whether it's lifestyles or habits or religion. But nowhere in this chapter does Christ indicate that we're to choose between who deserves peace and who doesn't. And it's the limitations that we put on love that have forced entire people groups and religions to reject the message of Christ. Just because 
the tenets of our faith dictate that we wouldn't model somebody else's life, just because I may look at somebody and say, you know what, I'm not going to be living my life the same way you are. That doesn't mean that I get to choose, but I'm not going to bring the Holy Spirit and peace to that person's life and that person's home. Jesus sends the 72 out to the people that didn't know God and said, speak peace. Well, you can't bring peace without choosing to spend time. That's our second one this morning. It's the next instruction in Luke ten seven. It says, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. Jesus says to his people, just stay with whomever and spend time with them. Don't stress over what they're giving. Just give, eat whatever they're giving you. And if you look at verse 6, he says, even if they don't accept the peace, even if they don't accept the message of Christ, stay there with them. Be there with them. Be the presence of God in that home. Jesus embodied this, what he taught. And we're going to flip ahead a bit into a story where, it, you know the story of Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector? And if, if you know tax collectors, what their story was at the, in Bible times, they were thieves. They would skim off the top the way that they earned an income, but then they just earned a little bit extra off the top whenever they were taking taxes for the government. So they were hated. They were kind of outcasts. And Jesus was coming into the town where Zacchaeus lived, and Zacchaeus was interested in, in getting to know Jesus. And so Jesus sees him and he says, I want to come and be with your house. And if I want to come and be at your house and go have lunch with you. And if you grew up in Sunday school in the 80s, you would have known that you went, he went to the house for, for tea. Yeah, that's right. If you, if, if you, if, if you know that little, little song in Bible in uh, Sunday school, I'm going to your house for tea. I don't think Jesus actually went with Zacchaeus for tea. He was probably going for figs and hummus or something like that. But, but, but the church people at the time, they wanted this time with Jesus. They looked at him and said, you're coming to our house. You're coming to our town. Why would you go and spend time with this person who steals and everybody hates? Why don't you come and spend time at the temple with the temple leaders? Their reaction probably isn't too far off of what our reaction might have been. We see this in Luke 19, 6 and 7. So uh, he came down, this is Zacchaeus, at once and welcomed him, Jesus, gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Mike Van Slinger, and a lot of you would know Mike, he plays the uh, keyboard sometimes, he's the principal at uh, Milton Christian School. We we talk about this from time to time because Mike has these. Mike has uh, has a, a love for MMA. If you want to talk with about mixed martial arts, Mike will talk mixed martial arts with you. And and from time to time, Mike will host a party who, of of people who want to come watch mixed martial arts on Saturday night. They'll get the pay per view event. But he says, I never know who I can invite because there's going to be a lot of people who aren't Christian there, and. Since they're not Christian, they don't embody Christian behavior and embody the Christian language, if you know what I mean. But Mike says, I love these people. We have a great relationship. We share something in common. But one of my fears is, what will people think? Because I'm spending time with people who aren't embodying Christian religion, Christian values. I used to have this thought myself all the time. I played on a baseball team, and my group of, my particular baseball team, they were a great group of guys, but they were a cheap group of guys as well. And a lot, a lot of baseball players, after the game, they, 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 would, they would like to drink. And so after the game, there, were, there was other teams, they would go to somebody's house or they would go out to 
Buffalo Wild Wings or something, but my team was cheap. So they would go to the parking lot and somebody would have brought a cooler and they'd just open up bottles of beer in the park, which is against the law. I'll just throw that out there. And these are, these are grown men drinking in the parking lot because they wanted to save a few dollars. And I always would think, I probably can't stay with them because they're breaking the law and I don't want other people to think I'm there drinking in the parking lot. <laughs> But every once in a while, I would just stay and talk with them and find out what they were. And it's unbelievable the conversations that I got into. I remember at one point, I got a call in the middle of the night from one of my guys on the baseball team. And he said, Rick, I'm really having a struggle. I'm having a fight with this, with this girl, and I don't know what to do. And I know, I know that you go to church, right? Because you've talked about that. Yeah, I go to church. I'm one of the pastors, but yeah, I do go to church. <laughs> He knew that I went to church at least. I was proud that he remembered that much. And he said, can we, can we talk about it? And the only reason he knew was because I'd chosen to spend time in a place where I was worried, what would other people think if they knew that I was spending time with those guys? And I really couldn't stay long because I really didn't think that would look good on the church if I got busted for open drunkenness in the park. I wasn't drinking, but these guys were... Never mind. They were, I'm not, I'm not going to defend... Jesus modeled this love resolution for us, for all of us, we say, where where do we spend our time? Who do we spend our time with? He did it regardless of the multiple criticisms. We read it in Mark 2.16 as well. People criticized him again. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Do you know who he was eating with at this time when this criticism came? He was eating with Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was hosting a party at his house that Jesus was attending. You know Matthew, the one who wrote the first gospel? (laughs) This is who they were complaining that Jesus was spending his time with. We have no idea what will happen when we bring the Spirit of God into a relationship with somebody that they don't know who he is, when they just choose to spend time. Look what happens with Zacchaeus. Between Jesus going to his house and the end of the story, Zacchaeus decides to pay everybody else back that he cheated four times as much. You can read that story in your your CLGs this week. He he paid back people four times the amount. He probably caused himself a lot of financial ruin because he, he, and he accepts Jesus as his savior. I don't think it was the tea that they were having at that house or the hummus and the figs or whatever they were eating. It was the time that Jesus spent with them. Have you ever considered that there are people in your life right now, they might have their eternities changed because you invest time into them and their relationship. You have the power to bring peace. You have the power in you just the time that you spend with them. And you know, we'll never discover what people really need until we spend time and discover more about them. For years, Christian missions was built upon the idea that the church knew knew what the needs of other people were. Well, they need God. I'm just going to go bring them God the way that we think that they need it. So we went and we imposed our assumptions on people. But when we really start to serve, to spend time with people, we're able to love the third way Jesus detailed in in, uh, Luke Luke 10, 5 to 9, and that's by serving needs. We'll never know what a person's needs are until we spend time with them. They'll never feel more love than when somebody truly meets their deepest need. I'll bet that the Christmas gift that meant the most to you this year wasn't one that cost the most. And and if it was, maybe in another year. (laughs) 
I bet that most times the gift that means the most to you was the one that actually represented a need in your life or something you really wanted. Somebody that knew you deep enough to say, I know what you really want. You don't want that trip to the Bahamas. You really don't need that, Bob. You, you, you really don't. <laughs> so, when somebody knows your deep need and they fill that, it's like, wow, that person knows me. And we never know that until we begin to spend time with them. When a person gives us something on that level, we feel understood. In our key text, Jesus said to the disciples, go and heal the sick who are there. Meaning go find out who's in that town and meet them where they need them. And our world is sick in so many ways, isn't it? This was a literal command to pray for physical healing, indeed. But we also know that our world is sick socially. Our world is sick emotionally. Our world is sick in so many ways. Zacchaeus, he needed the gift of time. So Jesus just went and he served that need by spending time. There's a story of the woman at the well. We're going to talk about that in our CLGs that week where, where Jesus discovered her need for love. She had been through multiple husbands and she just needed somebody that would love her and accept her. There's a story you're going to read as well that feeding 5,000 people, they just needed lunch. They had been following Jesus. But the conversation and time spent with them revealed the need. In all cases, love was communicated by meeting a practical need. James 2 and 16 and 17 Real basic scripture on this. It says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, not accompanied by action, is dead. Serving a need is a fairly obvious way to show love. So we, so we bring peace. We spend time. Or we speak peace. We spend time. We serve a need. And the last one this morning is we share hope. Luke 10, 9. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. I'm going to invite Heather and the team to come back. The love rethink is incomplete without the expression of sharing hope with other people. And you know, this is actually one of the biggest challenges that we face in a day and a time of religious acceptance and religious pluralism. We're good with all religions as long as no one gets pushy about their religion being right. Right? As long as nobody forces their belief system on you, then we're okay with everybody else. But if we're truly going to love people, and we're bringing peace to them, and we're spending time with them, and we're serving a need, we need to share the hope of Christ that's within us. We need to share that message that, you know what, I can meet your need for today, but there's a God that can meet your need for eternity. You know, I can bring peace into your house when I come, but there's a God who will be ever-present with you every day, no matter what you face. I can spend time in the parking lot with my friends from the baseball team, but if I don't ever tell them that, and there's a Savior that died for you, because He knows you, and He loves you, and He created you, and He wants to spend eternity with you, then I've fallen short. We love God real well. That's why you're here. You wouldn't get up Sunday after Sunday if you didn't love God. You'd sleep in. <laughs> you wouldn't give up your finances if you didn't believe that God's called you to sacrifice and be part of his mission. Because you've got lots of things you could do with that money. We love God well. The revolutionary thought this morning out of the text is, will you embrace the full job description? <laughs> will you say, I'm going to love people the same way. I'm going to get 
in on what God is asking me to do. And I know that there's people that are so close to me in my work, in my neighborhood, and they need this message and they need to come and hear what God has for their life as well. And I'm going to share the hope that is resident within me so that their lives and their eternity will be changed. Mark 16 and 15. Here's what it says to us. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now notice here, this is step four. It's not step one. Sometimes we've decided we're just going to go do that to everybody and everybody we meet. No, in Jesus' pathway, it's bring peace. Speak that peace. Serve that need. And then we share the hope. Spend the time. Then serve the need. Then share the hope. The plan is go be with people and then draw them and and give the message. It's God's great plan for our world. We believe that one day Jesus is coming back. We don't know how long that will be. I think he said something like, look to the skies and know the signs of the time when when you hear of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and global warming or something like that. He said something that the time is short, right? We know that someday he's coming back. We don't know when. It's been 2,000 years and he said, I'm coming back soon. So let's put that in context. But we believe that he is coming back. And we believe that he wants the whole message, the, the whole world to know his message of hope. Matthew 24 and 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. His plan is me. His plan is you. His plan is us as a church saying, we will share this hope with other people. This morning, uh, the band has prepared a song just for us to respond with. And this morning, I challenge you, if you're ready, if you're feeling like, yeah, I can bring hope, I can bring peace, would you make this a prayer as you sing this with the band this morning?
we were getting ready for this week, one of the things we noticed in all the different stories that we looked at, Jesus didn't differentiate between the lifestyles of people. The differentiation he made was, was somebody interested in getting to know me? Was somebody interested in what I had to offer? I'm going to spend time with them. He loved spending time with his disciples, with his small group. And he invested there and he spent time with them. And he was blown away by the faith of the Roman soldier who said, when he said, no greater faith has anyone in Israel except, uh, than, than, than this soldier. And it was the people, it wasn't their lifestyle, it was their desire to get to know him. And this morning we thought, church, we need to start loving the same way Jesus loved. We don't look at people's lifestyles, we look at, are they willing to get to know who this God is, I'm going to invest peace. I'm going to invest love. I'm going to invest time into them. And then we go and love the world the way that Jesus loved. That's our mission. That's our call this morning. Regardless of whether they're in a church, regardless of whether at a party, at watching mixed martial arts, regardless of they're at your work, bring peace. Bring hope. Bring the message of Christ to them. Can I pray for you this morning? Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you, um, this church, this group that's gathering this these these people who have confessed you as their savior and have your spirit resident inside of them god we ask that you would commission us today to go and change the lives of other people by what you're doing in and through us lord god we recognize that there is a great call for us to go into all the world and father i pray that we we wouldn't stop at the doors of the church we wouldn't stop at the doors of the small group we would do that as well god because we know the whole mandate is to love you and love others sacrificially with all our heart soul mind and strength so father i ask that we would go in boldness and this week lay on our hearts lay on our minds the people who you've placed around us that we're to love and god will will We'll look in our neighborhoods. We'll look at our jobs. We'll, we'll, do, we'll go wherever you've called us to go just to be the presence of Christ in this world. Because we know, Lord, that your word has the power to change lives. God, we are representative of that. We were once far from you. It's only by your grace and by the love that somebody extended to us through your spirit that we're here. So God, help us to go and do the same and never be comfortable just doing half of what you've asked us to do. God, it's been great to be together and just to worship together and to read your word together and be challenged. And um, we ask, Father, that you continue to challenge us wherever we go, whatever we do this week. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.